Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Bond. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. Guys, it's Sports Garden. G-A-R-T-E-N. Hashtag S-G-N. 855, the number 4 G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That's all the ways that you can listen to us. Oh, yeah. We have a jam-packed show today. We're going to speak to Josh Taylor. We're going to talk to him. Look, Major League Baseball draft is coming, and we have to know these names. I know everyone's on top of the Vandy boys, but I don't know about that. We'll talk to Josh Taylor about that. And I see a massive, huge bet I'm going to be making on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to get Josh's thoughts. Jay Paris is going to join us also talking Shohei Otani. Otani mania is running wild. And Jay Paris has been talking about that on this show for three years. So we'll talk to him as well. Before that, I just want to get a little bit into the NBA Finals here, guys. Look, game one, I'm not making too much of it. I'm not. Game one went the way that I thought game one was going to go. I still think Milwaukee has a chance in this series. I still like Milwaukee to extend this series to probably six or seven games. Maybe they don't win, and I didn't put money on them plus the 160 coming back to win it all. But I was tempted to because I think people are just underestimating Milwaukee. I know Giannis wasn't, uh, look, he wasn't himself, but 20-17 and is pretty good, okay? Milwaukee didn't lose because of Giannis being injured. The Suns were at home. It was game one. They're the better team over the course of the regular season. They're not losing game one at home. Now, game two, I'm not sure how game two is going to go. I'm going to be honest with you. To me, I'm already past game two. Phoenix is five and a half or six point favorite. They probably will win. I think it's going to be a lot closer than the 13 points. But look, Phoenix looked in control at points of that game. Their stars dominated. Chris Paul, 32 and 8. Booker, 27 and 6. Aton, 22 and 19. I do not expect CP3 to get 30 points again. I'm taking the under. Now, under, over, under set at a decent amount. I would take the under there. Booker, Booker is going to get his points almost no matter what. But he, look, he looked good, but he didn't explode. 27 is not exploding. Booker's a guy that can get 37. He's not exploding. Aton's kind of the guy. 22 and 19 was massive. I just mentioned to you, oh, by the way, let's look at Giannis. Giannis went out there, and what did Giannis do? Giannis went out there and scored 20. All right, a little less than his number. I'm not going near Giannis's points being banked up. He's got to get some points on the inside. 17 boards? 17 boards? Guys, I'm all over for game two, for game three. I'm all over. Aton and Giannis, both of them, for over for rebounds. Now, you look at overall. Look, game two, I don't know if I'm going near, but game three and game four, I like Milwaukee. I don't know the lines. I don't care. Milwaukee, 26 and 10 during the regular season at home. In a year where pff, people going, yeah, Milwaukee wasn't great regular season. 26 and 10 at home is pretty awesome. I watched those crowds. I watched the excitement. Milwaukee, those people going absolutely bonkers. They were going crazy out there. So you have that. Then the playoffs came. Milwaukee is 7 and 1. During the playoffs, guys, 7-1 and one at home during the playoffs. Their only playoff loss came in game one of a series, which you can forgive them for, where Trey Young scored almost 50 points on them, which you can forgive them for. I don't think CP3 is putting up 48. I don't even think Booker's putting up 48, okay? So throw that out. So they're 7-1 in the playoffs. But even with that, Five of those seven games that they won during the playoffs, and remember, look, they play the Nets, they play good teams. Five of the seven games, they beat teams at home by double digits. Four of the last four games have been decided by 15-plus. The last two games by 20-plus. Guys, I'm looking at Milwaukee, and I'm saying, once they go back home, they are a dangerous team. So game two... I don't love, I don't have any action on, okay? I lean Phoenix a little bit, but down 2-0... Hey, I'm going to look at those series prices, okay? Because you can still get the Bucks right now at plus 250 for the series. Wait till they go down 2-0. They go down 2-0. That'll be 350. You might be able to get 350 back on the Bucks. They still haven't lost a game at home, right? It's still a regular series. 
I'll be looking there too. So I see some value in taking the Bucks for the series after game two. I'm looking at this and I'm going, I like some prop plays. I like rebounds from Aton. I like rebounds from Giannis. The books haven't adjusted to the rebounds, in my opinion. I kind of like CP3 under the points. Okay, but I probably will lay off. I'm just staring and saying Sunday, game three, that's that's the moment that I'm looking for. Because I think Milwaukee comes out strong. We know that the line is going to be lower than it should be. I think it's going to kind of be a pick'em game. Maybe Milwaukee maybe minus one or two. And I'm looking at game three and game four. I think Milwaukee will be strong at home. All right, guys. It's a little NBA talk. I want to get to the interviews. So we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come on back right after this. I want to lay the groundwork first about the minor league draft. So who do I want to talk to about the minor league draft? Well, I'm talking to Josh Taylor. He's a friend of the show. You guys know him from CBS Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Pirates have the number one overall draft pick. He's a broadcaster, a speaker, longtime friend of the show, and now a proud papa. Congratulations, Josh. Thanks a lot, Tommy. It's been a, a, an interesting first few months, but uh, everything's going well so far. I appreciate it. So, yeah, look, the, the Pirates hold the number one overall draft pick, right? Uh, th- this is what we're looking at. And... You know, everyone's going, okay, are they choosing lighter? Are they going with rocker? Which one of these two are they going with? And every mock draft that I see, I'm a pretty big minor league guy. Every mock draft that I see, nobody has them taking either one of them. Now, you know, before I, I get into who they should take, what is the feeling out of the Pittsburgh fan base that so desperately needs something good to happen? Well, the feeling here in Pittsburgh is basically what you just laid out. The names that they've heard the most often in the past few months have been Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter. But you look at all the mock drafts, it's Marcelo Mayer, in some cases it's Jordan Lawler. And fans are adding two and two, and they're not getting four, and they're confused, and they're wondering why. And I think part of it is because there's a little bit of a lack of trust with this current ownership group, and there has been for quite some time. It's not a secret. If you've been around Pittsburgh and discussed baseball, Pirate fans will tell you how they feel for, for the most part. However, there is... There's also some sentiment that, you know, one of those two Vanderbilt arms should be the guy, just based on what they've seen, because both of these guys have had a lot of national exposure. If you've seen anything involving Vanderbilt baseball, you've probably seen Jack Leiter or Kamar Rocker. We've seen Kamar Rocker as late as, you know, last season before things really got out of whack and even as late as 2019. So we knew who these two guys were on the whole. But the thing is, when you see these two college arms that have been good all season long and have gotten to the College World Series, and then you see two high school shortstops taking up a lot of the ink on the pages as far as who the top pick is, it's going to create some confusion. So I'm sure there is a lot of back and forth. And at one point, we saw Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, his name was being trotted out there too as a possible name that the Pirates could take number one. So I think it's down to from going from two guys that we thought were sure things to wait, there's more than one guy that could be the possible number one, and I think that's where everybody's trying to sort out, okay, so who really is the number one, and if that's the guy the Pirates should take. You know, and that's what I was going to ask you, because, look, more times than not, you talk to scouts, you talk to people that do this for a living and people that are better at minor leagues than I am, and I think I'm pretty good with it, and you go, you know, pitchers just aren't safe. Right? I mean, they're they're just not safe. And college arms already have a lot of innings. We watched what Vanderbilt did to Jack Leiter. But because the College World Series is on, and they're very good, and we got to highlight them, Meyer is really good. This is a, for those that don't know, a lefty-hitting shortstop. He is, um, I don't want to say a do-it-all, but kind of a do-it-all kind of guy. He looks very good out there. Jordan Lawler, a lot of people are saying that he's the best player in the draft. Um, Pretty much hands down. They are comparing him to Bobby Witt, right? I mean, he's 19, but he's a little bit older, which actually helps. But wait a minute. High school prospects don't exactly have the best track record. And then you brought up Henry Davis. Henry Davis is an interesting situation because... You know, everyone's going, okay, well, he might be a guy that has to change positions. But wait a minute. If they're going to get rid of uh, the strike zone and go to this automated, maybe that helps a little bit. He is a catcher. You know, I'm in a position where I don't think I would take the catcher because it's a longer growth cycle. I'm not sure I'm taking Lawler because he's 19, uh, the older prospects, even though he's got it. But if they go Meyer, it's hard 
for me to argue that just because I know how volatile young pitching is. And I tend to agree with you. That's pretty much where my head is. It, he would be my number one, as good as Lawler has been and as promising as the two college arms are. And this is you're talking to a guy who was pretty much – I was a Jack Leiter guy the majority of the season. But the more we read and the further along we got, we saw these high school shortstops start to rise up the list. And there's also the discussion that there's up to maybe five high school shortstops that could go in the top 10, top 10 picks. That's how good this group of kids is. So that's another thing that kind of sticks out. But I'm leaning with you in this particular case. It's hard to argue with a kid that could, fla- could flash five tools, has a solid left-handed bat. He's actually previously a switch hitter and decided, you know what, I don't want to switch hit anymore. Why try to take 100 swings right-handed when I could take 200 left-handed and just focus on getting better at that? So this is a kid who obviously understands the concept of trying to hone his craft and make his game better in every single facet. Then you read about how, you know, him being out in California, it was harder for him to travel through some of the circuits that were going on due to the pandemic. So he kind of took some time off and said, you know what, I won't try to travel. I'll just stay here and just work on refining my game. So he just worked out. He just pretty much worked on his skills, took grounders, took cuts or whatever, just to make himself, just to make himself a little bit more viable in the basic fundamental aspect. And you can't argue with that if you're a GM looking for a player to draft. You're saying, wait a minute, this kid, you know, he's got good size. He's six foot plus. He's about 180 pounds, I believe. And he can do all the things you need a player to do on the basic level. Plus, he might be advanced for his age. And in a draft where there may not be a clear cut number one, maybe that kid is the most attractive from the tool standpoint. You know, the other thing here, though, and we're talking with Josh Taylor, CBS Pittsburgh. Um, Josh, the, the other problem here is there is the fan base. And I know GMs are not supposed to pick players based on that, but Pittsburgh's a fan base that is starting a mini revolt, it seems. Yeah, I mean, this this fan base is angry. We're watching Cole and Tyon pitch for the Yankees and having success. Uh, everyone's kind of shipped out of town. Somebody starts to have success. Well, that means you're gone. And if the GM goes out there and he goes and picks a lighter or a rocker, I think the fan base can accept them failing as opposed to if he does go a Meyer and then Lyra Rocker go out there and they become the next Kershaw, right? So is that going to play a role at all, or do you think GM says, you know what, I don't even care? From Ben Jarrington's uh, standpoint, I, I doubt it will play a factor. He, he hasn't really even committed to one being asked the question, you know, where are you leaning? What do you think you'll do? He's played his cards really close to the vest. And that's the same thing I would do because Ben Charrington is really still – I won't say he's still new to the situation because this is technically his second season, even though he was there last year and the season was shortened. But this is his first full season as a team's GM. It's his first time dealing with the full draft class. And I would handle it the exact same way. I would operate as though no one was watching what I was doing and how anybody felt about it didn't matter because he's got to make the best decision that works for him and his baseball operations staff. So if he's leaning high school shortstop as the best thing he should do, and if he would have done that in Toronto when he was running, running their minor league system there, or if he would have done that in Boston when he was their GM or he was, uh, when he was um, Theo Epstein's assistant, I would be okay with that because I would rather see them do the thing that most teams would do under those circumstances as opposed to doing something to keep fans happy and end up being wrong. You remember the old saying, if you do things to keep your fans happy, you'll end up sitting out there with them. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so I think you alluded to it. If you had your choice – uh, who are you choosing? And then if you had your choice between the two pitchers, who are you choosing? If I had to choose between the two pitchers, I would go Jack Leiter, specifically because I think Leiter would have the advantage between the two temples. When you have a dad who's pitched 14 years in Major League Baseball, won a World Series, did all the things that probably a pitcher would want to do in their Major League career, I think Al Leiter's probably a guy that would be able to teach you what you need to know. So having that advantage, plus the fact that you know for a guy his frame, he's still able to pitch the way he does. And there were times when he was really just lights out. I would probably go lighter. I think he has a slight edge as far as how we would project moving forward. If I had to pick between all of the guys in draft, I think I'm leaning to Marcelo Meyer. I'm really impressed. The more I read about him, the more I hear about him, the more details that come out. He seems more and more like an impressive player, and he seems like a cornerstone type of guy. Because if you have a player who can lock down the shortstop position both defensively and have a plus bat, you have a premium piece that you cannot find in many places in MLB. I don't think people realize that, you know, the early 2000s when you had so many shortstops that can hit and play defense, we haven't seen anything like that. It's been almost 20 years when you have four or five, you know, really premium hitting, premium defensive shortstops. So if you have one like that, 
you treat it like gold, and it's pretty much something that you want as a fixture on your team. So I would say Meyer if that's the case. I'm in perfect lockstep with you. And I think that a lot of people go and go, what about Gonzalez last year? He's going to be a second baseman. Am I right? Yeah, that's what they're projecting. When he was first drafted, they talked about how he was a shortstop at New Mexico State, but he would probably project as a second baseman. And honestly, he's off to a really good start in a ball. He's down with the Greensboro Grasshoppers, and he's just hitting the ball tremendously. I think he had a home run in the triple last night. So he's had some really impressive at-bats. And from people who have gotten to see him hit, they're saying even his outs are struck pretty well. So he's really made a good impression with the bat. So if you have that bat at second base, plus possibly a Marcelo Meyer at shortstop with the plus defense and a possible plus bat, it's hard to argue with that kind of pairing long-term. I mean, I think it was a good pick last year. I think Nick Gonzalez was a good pick. And I look back at most of the Pittsburgh Pirates' picks, they're actually good picks. They just don't last, right? Yeah, that's and that was the knock against Neil Huntington, the previous GM, was that he drafted well, but maybe the development wasn't there. Because some of the draft picks that he had, you know, you have Garrett Cole, you have Pedro Alvarez, who came up fairly quickly, got another guy out of Vanderbilt, mind you, third baseman, came up quickly, Got to the big leagues, started out pretty hot. I mean, he made, I want to say he, um, once they made an all star team and, and won a Silver Slugger award, he actually tied for the league lead in home runs one year. And then after that, things just started to not, you know, click the way they used to. The wheels fell off, so to speak. Wasn't as slick as a fielder, wasn't as consistent as a thrower from third base to first base. So they move him over to the first base, and then the fielding kind of goes sour at first base. And then his ability to hit wasn't as strong as it was, and he wasn't as much of a power producer. And then he ends up in Baltimore. So things just kind of went the wrong way with him. Garrett Cole's a different case because Garrett Cole, I thought, excelled as a pitcher. But his last season in Pittsburgh, he gave up a ton of home runs. So that was a knock against him. So he ends up getting traded to Houston. So there's a lot of things that went wrong there, too. I was going to say, and Cole, the minute you get good, you kind of shipped out of town. So even if you are producing. All right, we're continuing our conversation here with Josh Taylor, CBS Pittsburgh broadcaster, speaker, obviously a long-time friend of the show, and a new proud Popeye. I, 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 that's my favorite part about that whole resume right there, Josh. Um, and we're talking about, listen, when Pittsburgh Pirates prospects get good, they get shipped out of town. Well, let's talk about the trade deadline. It's coming up. Um, I had Michael Kay on last week with me. I've had uh, Yankee guys on and, and we're all basically here in the Yankee land going, okay, yeah, let's just pick from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Reynolds makes sense. I know they have some closers there. Rodriguez, Crick, who do you think is going to be out of town? I think my first pick between the pitchers might be Richard Rodriguez. And we've heard his name linked to the Blue Jays already. They need a closer badly. Blue Jays have had some really bad blowups in late innings, so I'm sure he's a candidate for them. Um, outside of pitchers, or at least outside of relievers, uh, Tyler Anderson is a name you might hear. A left-hander who's kind of remade his, you know, profile this season in Pittsburgh. He's actually pitched pretty well. A couple of games that, you know, they have not been able to give him a lot of run support, so you can't really blame it on him as far as not getting the wins. They haven't shown up, but he's actually been pretty productive. He's showing that cut fastball that's been really efficient. Um, as far as position players go, Brian Reynolds has been the popular name, but I think given the fact that I think he has four more years of club control that's really a guy that unless you are going to get a King's ransom and, and unless Ben Charrington says, Hey, I want X, Y, and Z and nothing else. I can't, I can't really imagine him going, but Adam Frazier is a name who has been hot recently. Uh, John Heyman has linked him to possibly uh, the white Sox because they need a second base because Nick Madrigal is hurt. So that seems like a shoe and move. But the thing with Adam Frazier, left-handed batter, um, he could play second base. He's played a little bit of outfield. So, you know, he has a little bit of flexibility position-wise, but he's gotten really strong as a second baseman defensively. He's starting in the All-Star game for the National League. He's one of the top hitters among second basemen and across all in the National League. So he's really risen his profile, not only with the bat, but with defensively. He is also under contract for another year after this season, so he's not going to be your garden variety rental. So he could fetch a decent package in return. But if I'm going with the top three guys I expect to be moved, it would probably be, probably be Richard Rodriguez, Tyler Anderson, or a uh, Adam Frazier. You know, that's the thing. I was going to ask you, when, when do they actually come back with a haul? Because even the kind of trades that we're talking about, about Reynolds, and, and I've heard Crick's name in there, and Rodriguez, they're not getting anything huge for them back. I'm waiting for him to make a move where you go, wow, okay, that was, that was a good move for the Pirates. When they make these trades, it seems like they're getting secondary guys. Well, I think the move that actually brought the haul back was the Joe Musgrove trade in the, Joe Musgrove trade in the offseason. I think Ben Charrington brought uh, quite a few guys back for that. David Bednar, our current reliever in the Pirates bullpen, was part of that trade. That's the one you look at and go, I didn't expect him to get that many guys back. Now, the Jameson Tyone trade, 
he got a handful back. It wasn't as big of a return, but the Joe Musgrove trade, that was one of those trades where you look at it and you think, well, maybe this was, you know, the, I won't call it trade nirvana, but it's the ideal situation because the Pirates had something that the Padres needed. The Padres had a plethora of minor league talent. The Padres have the best systems in the league coming into this season, and that was before that trade. They voted four guys to get Joe Musgrove, and they didn't even scratch their top five prospects. That's how deep the Padres' farm system is. So it was such a great move for them to get Joe Musgrove, a San Diego guy who's thrown a hitter, which was a huge thing for them and also for him because it was the first one in club history, and it's the first of his career. But they gave up a pretty nice package to bring him in, and they really didn't even get into their best prospects and their best guys to get Joe Musgrove. So if you're asking me as far as what the big haul move was, I think it already happened with the Joe Musgrove trade. But the Richard Rodriguez situation, it's one that I still come back to, probably because we've seen the create a closer thing for quite some time now. It's gone 20 years since, you know, Billy Bean and some other GMs really started to perfect that game of, hey, let's take a guy, make him our closer, build him up, stack up a bunch of saves, and then ship him off for a handful of prospects for a team who needs a closer that desperately. We've seen that happen for so long now. And if there's a guy who might be able to get, get that kind of interest, it might be Richard Rodriguez. Yeah, and you mentioned Bednar. For anybody in those daily fantasy leagues or or the dynasty leagues or even a regular, pick him up. He's going to be the closer, right? I mean, Kyle Crick maybe a little bit, but Bednar's the future. I've been anticipating that since the first time I saw this kid pitch because not only is he really, really talented and you can actually get guys out and throw some really good gas, he's also a Western PA guy. He's from Morris PA, Morris High School. His, his younger brother's in the draft, by the way, Will Bednar, out of Mississippi State, so keep an eye on his name in the first round. So there's a really athletic family coming out of the Bednar clan. But, yeah, he's the guy that I expect to be the closer long term. I think there's just a lot of things that project. And if there's any guy that you want coming in to close the game out for your franchise, especially if it's on your home field, wouldn't you rather be a guy that's from that town that's going to have a little bit more – energy behind trying to get it done. It just feels like that scenario is like the storybook storybook scenario in my mind. All right, let's turn the page. Let's talk about the Steelers because I promised myself I was not going to do this again. And last year, look, I made money on them. The year before, I made money on them. I'm doing it again. I'm buying into the Steelers here. They are plus 400 to win the North. Okay, might not take that. I'm certainly not taking them 18 to 1 odds to win the AFC. No, but the wins total is set at 8.5, Josh. That would mean... That if they went under, Mike Tomlin would have to have the first losing season in his career. He won with Duck Hodges, right? I'm looking at this team and I'm going, they got a good defense coming back. They have good receiving core, shiny new running back. Um, Yeah, they have a problem in offensive line and, and Ben going down. Am I crazy to start buying back into the Steelers here? No, an eight and a half win total to start the season. Not only am I jumping into that, I'm Bucks jumping it with both feet. It, for me personally, I'm thinking at least ten wins for this team, given the situation. Now, here's the thing that's going to have to be looked at a little bit more closely: the cornerback situation has changed because Stephen Nelson's gone. Mike Hilton, their nickelback, who was probably besides T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward, my favorite guy on this defense. He's gone to Cincinnati. So now you have a new guy on the outside in Cam Sutton. You're going to have a new guy on the inside in the nickel package. That's going to change. And you mentioned the offensive line. We're talking about a situation where we're having at least three new starters get inserted into this offensive line. Uh, Chooks Okrafor switching positions from right tackle to left tackle. Zach Banner's going to come back healthy. They drafted Kendrick Green with the hopes that he can play center. Uh, David DeCastro is gone. Trey Turner's now in. And now Kevin Doss is being inserted into left guard whom we saw quite a little bit of last season when injuries happened and the early returns were good on him. But late in the season, they went back to Matt Filer and did not stick with Dotson and left guard. And a lot of people, including myself, were still questioning that move. And I will probably until the day I die. I thought Dotson was the best option in left guard. He's going to be the starter now. So if there's two things I'm looking at, I'm looking at the cornerback depth. I'm looking at the offensive line depth. But Going into training camp, that may change soon. The Steelers, they, they saved a little bit of cap space by releasing David DeCastro, which was a very odd situation. But if you understood uh, his history, especially recently with injuries, there was a lot there, and they didn't think he would be that useful for them this season, especially with this nagging ankle injury that won't seem to go away, and he might have to have surgery for it again. So with that happening, they saved themselves some cap room, so they might be able to address the corner situation. They might also be able to assist, uh, uh, address the situation at edge rush. They need some depth there too. They have TJ Watt. They have Alex Highsmith. 
They tried to get some more help in the draft, but they might need maybe another veteran guy that, to, that can come in and play in case Water Highsmith go down. Granted, Highsmith came in as a rookie. I want to say he was a third-round pick and did marvelously last year. Did really, really good for a guy with not a lot of expectation. But can you pull that off twice? That might be the Harper Kevin Colbert. We've seen them do some great things in the draft, so some outside edge help might help. But, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, I'm jumping at eight and a half wins. I think they can win double digits, specifically because having Najee Harris in the backfield makes Ben Roethlisberger's job a lot easier. The Steelers really did not rely on the run game a lot in the second half of the season. That's what led to them being so predictable and one-dimensional in the passing game. But now if you can run the ball, also bringing in Matt Canada's offense. He was the quarterback's coach last year, but they used some of his concepts early in the season, and then they abandoned them. Now he's the play caller. Now you're using a lot of stuff that he uses. You're using the motion. You're using a lot of the running game, that zone blocking scheme. And you have Adrian Clem and is the offensive line coach. They got rid of their previous offensive line coach. Adrian Clem steps in. So now that running game should be a lot stronger. And with Najee Harris, a guy who can do anything you need in the run game, plus stuff he can do in the passing game too, this running game gets better so the offense gets better by default. I think it's a double-digit win team. All right, well, if you like double-digit wins, now you just mentioned Najee Harris, right? Well, I got his, his touchdown total put up there. Do you want to guess or you want me to give it to you and then you you pick it? Um, I will guess 11. Eight and a half. Really? Oh, I love the over here, Josh. Oh, definitely. This is a guy who scored 57 touchdowns in his career at Alabama. By the way, that's tied with Tim Tebow for the SEC conference record. This kid will find the end zone. Eight and a half, it's another one. I am box jumping that with both feet. Yeah, I'm just thinking, you know what? The Steelers are in a position where I know they got all the wide receivers, but they're a running team, and they're just going to feed him. You know Ben's not running it in from the five, right? I mean, they're just going to feed him all day. I I, I think it's free money. I I love this one. I shouldn't say that because (laughs) that's when things go bad, but I love it. All right. Let me talk to you about Ben because Ben mentioned the surgery. People started freaking out. Oh, wait a minute. He doesn't have the long ball. He was one of the worst quarterbacks last year on the long ball, even though he's got the receivers. Now he mentions the surgery. Uh, I took it as the other way. People kind of freaked out, and I said, you know what? He mentioned the surgery because he wants to say, guys, I'm better. Did you take it like that too? I did. I, I took it not only that he was better, but that he'd been dealing with that elbow problem for a long time, and it seemed like everything just kind of finally came to a head and it needed to be done. Now he's got more time to rest, too. That's another thing that comes into play. He has not had to throw the ball a lot, you know, in the past however many months since the season ended. He's had more time to rest. And coming off the injury, of course, coming off the surgery, that's one thing. But now more time has passed since then. He's had time to actually, you know, get himself back on track with that. Plus, he was there at minicamp, and I think that's something that a lot of people probably discounted. Ben Roethlisberger was at minicamp with the Steelers on the south side throwing passes. He's going to walk into training camp with his arm in pretty good shape. You know, he's, he'll be a year and a half removed from that surgery, almost two years removed. So he should probably feel a lot better as far as being able to throw with that arm. He'll be able to throw passes in training camp to his receivers and to his tight ends, which, by the way, adding Pat Fryermuth from Penn State as a tight end gives them another red zone option as well. So there becomes a lot more fun collection of weapons, adding those two draft picks that they brought in in Harrison Fryermuth for Ben Roethlisberger. So his job gets so much more easier. He has so much more time removed from that surgery. So, yeah, I think he looks better by default. I think with that, I think a better offensive line and a better run game, it all just comes up aces for him, assuming he can stay healthy. As long as he can turn around and hand the ball off, we get our over. Uh, Josh, we only got a minute to go. Can you just tell the Steelers to stay off of Twitter? I, I, I mean, oh what, what is going on with that? Just stay off of Twitter, right? Oh, I, I, I've, I've said this a lot of times, and I, I tell this to colleagues. I tell this to college students that I talk to. I use the same parameter on social media that I would probably use a lot of things. If I put this out there, would my mom kill me? <laughs> if the answer is yes, I don't put it out there. And for, and for Devin Bush's particular case, he's a guy whose dad played in the NFL. You know, there, there's, there's got to be a standard of expectation of what you're expected to do and not do and say and not say. But I, I'll go with the old, the old adage. If my mom doesn't want to hear me say it on social media or even out loud, I'm not putting it out there because it's probably better off for me. (laughs) Josh, thank you again. Again, congratulations to you. Good stuff right there. Guys, that is Josh Taylor. Go check him out. Josh Taylor, CBS Pittsburgh. He's a broadcaster, speaker, like I've said. And I want to say again, another congratulations. Thanks a lot, Josh. Guys, you know, look, I'm I'm giving you a little stuff here. I'm buying back into the Steelers. Last year, that was my biggest bet. My biggest bet of the year was that the Steelers would beat their win total. And they beat it almost in consecutive weeks. I like it. 
I like it a lot. Just, I just don't see Tomlin losing there. There's a lot of positives for the Steelers. And I know, you know what, we're sitting here around the All-Star break. Maybe you're not thinking about football, but this is the time you could start making a little bit of money. Because I do think that 8.5 might get to 9. And then getting at 9, you need 10 to win. Now it's not a play. Harris, though, I'm glad I had the reaction of Josh like that. That's why I asked him, you know, what do you think it is? I thought it was going to be 9.5. Maybe, maybe a 10 out there. I think this is one of the biggest plays I'm probably going to have all year. I love Harris to go over 8.5. And, and somebody tweeted me out uh, and said, you know what, Tom? 8. You could get an 8 out there. I, I, I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, guys, let's take a quick timeout. We'll be back right after this. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get the gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Well, let's take a look at the Defensive Player of the Year odds coming out for the NFL nice and early here. Miles Garrett, three to one favorite. Oh, wow. Miles Garrett. Yeah. Aaron Donald, who basically is just known as the best defensive player in the league, five to one. TJ Watt, I put my money on him last year. I thought he should have won. He's ten to one. Chase Young, really impressing people in the playoffs, twelve to one. Nick Bosa, twelve to one. He's back and healthy. Joey Bosa, his brother, fourteen to one. And Khalil Mack, you could get at twenty to one odds. That is what are the odds? You know, we sometimes have guests on. And when we have guests on, uh, they say something, and then I'll bring it up during the show. Uh, but I like our guests specifically to, to take a victory lap, right? And our next guest should be taking about 10 victory laps. We've had him on for years, but we had him on in the preseason this year, and uh, Jay Paris told me, with no definitive terms. Look, Otani's going to have a massive year. And I argue, I said, you know, I just want him to hit. Forget about the pitching thing. I think he's going he's to be a great hitter. Well, look, he's doing everything well. So let's welcome on Jay Barris. Look, he covers the NFL for Forbes. He's wrote books on the Rams, Chargers, and the Shohei Otani book, The Amazing Story of Baseball's Two-Way Superstar. You guys can go get that anywhere books are sold right now. Jay, welcome to the show. Konnichiwa, Tom. How are we doing? I'm doing good, man. I got to tell you, this is your victory lap. I was skeptical about the pitching and hitting thing. I thought, hey, I'm not saying I saw this kind of hitting, but I thought this guy could be a 30-home run, 15-steal, 280 guy, why are you messing around with the pitching? Um, you know, before the preseason, we talked about it. I took Otani to win the MVP last year because I just knew that his hitting could come around. But, man, you told me. You told all of us, every listener here, no, Tom, let him do both. Watch what he can do when he's comfortable doing both. Man, is he doing it, right, Jay? Boy, he's doing it. And in true uh, Shohei fashion, I'm going to uh, give the praise to my editors and praise to everybody else except myself because that's what Shohei would do. It, you know, it, ha it has been amazing. Uh, but, you know, the descriptions are, you know, amazing, uh, impressive. Um, but you can't say surprised if, if you saw what he did in Japan. And you can't say surprised if you, if you knew the skill set and the mental makeup. It's like, Tom, it's like a really good play playing a theater in Des Moines. And those people in Des Moines go, this is a really good play. Okay, well, now it goes to Broadway and becomes a smash hit. And everybody goes, this is a really good play. The people in Des Moines are going, we've seen it. <laughs> we know it's a good play. This is like uh, Shohei in Japan. I mean, people saw the skills. People have been scouting them, the baseball insiders. They saw what, what he could do. Now, could he do it at this level? You know, it's only been 100 years since somebody's done this. So, of course, that was a big question mark, and there were a lot of skeptics uh, like yourself, and, and I don't blame you. But it's interesting, those numbers you mentioned that you thought he could produce, he's done that by the All-Star break. That's what I, I – look, I said, guys, look, he's a 30-home run, <laughs> right? 10, 15 yeah. steel guy, 280. He's got it. He's got it now. I, I saw the hitting. I just didn't believe in the pitching. And – you know, right. I, I won't do the Ruth comparisons. I, I just won't do right. it. Uh, I have my arguments against it. Like, to me, it's two different worlds. Um, he's sure. not Babe Ruth. But I can say this, and this is what I want to ask you. Is this the greatest month we have ever seen? Because we didn't see Ruth, right? Is this the right. greatest month of baseball we've ever witnessed? Yeah, and Tom, I think you make a great point that he's not Babe Ruth. But that's the guy they're comparing him to. I mean, it's not like, well, he's kind of like that. But, you know, to, to pull out a, a mystical name like Babe Ruth, and that's who you're being compared to, crazy. This last month has been a whole different level with Shohei. As, as he, he's just fit. 
He's confident. He's playing loose. I think a lot of credit Tom has to go to Joe Madden. He's taken off every leash. He's he's done. He's got the bubble wrap gone. He's just let the dude go play, and, and he's done that. And the the numbers. I mean, over seven hits, six of them were home runs. I mean, he had one week where he hit six home runs and had two pitching performances going into the seventh inning, allowing one run or less. Um, his war, you know, if you're a war guy, I mean, that's off the charts. He, he's on pace to have a 10.9 war at the end of the year. There's not an active player that's ever done that right now. I mean, Trout's never done it. You know, Mookie's never done it. Pujols has never done it. You'd have to go back to 2002 and Barry Bonds to see somebody, a hitter, reach that number. And all the way back to uh, 2000, Pedro Martinez, for a pitcher to reach this number. So, you know, this is a game now of analytics and numbers, and they, the pencil pushers can crunch every digit they can. And in every metric, nobody has done this. So, you know, it's 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 fun to watch, but it, it would be fun, Tom, if there wasn't the other side of this, which is the joy he plays with. You know, whistle while you work, the old, the old cliche, if you will. This guy whistles while he works. He plays with a smile. He plays with manners. Uh, just the other night, Christian Herrero uh, shattered his bat on the – he shattered the bat of Christian. He went over and picked up the broken bat, walked over to Christian, and handed it to him. I mean, people with 10.9 wars don't do that. You know, they head back in the dugout. If he drops his bat, you know, he'll wait to give it to the bat boy. If he's getting a walk, he'll take off all his protective gear, fold it very nicely, and give it to the bat boy. So I think that's part of the Shohei. uh, What makes him special is that people enjoy watching him. He enjoys playing. And there's absolutely zero player that has the passionate fan base that he does around the world. I mean, this guy... This guy's a godsend for baseball, which has two black eyes right now. It's got the the uh, spider tack cheating, if you will, where, where pitchers are now uh, being caught. <laughs> we know why the, the ball was going like a wiffle ball at 100 miles an hour. And it has the Trevor Bauer black eye, which is a, a big stain on the game as well. So with those two things fighting for attention, baseball should be joyous that Shohei Otani's taken away some of that attention. And that's only going to blossom next week in Denver where he's the first, of course, pitcher and position player to be selected. And he's doing the home run derby. You know, in writing this book, I learned Kenichiwa, hello. I learned uh, Domo Agato, thank you. I haven't learned load management in Japanese. I don't think Shohei has load management, whatever that is. The guy will play every day, every position. He just loves the game. Well, that was going to be my next question to you. We're on the phone yeah. with Jay Paris. Is now there's a lot of conversation that he's going to start playing the field. And, you know, how much is he going to play the field? You know, there has to be a point where Joe Madden's going, you know what? Or am I pressing my luck here? You know, what do right. you think about him now potentially playing the field? Well, I think that was always the uh, the conflict. Could he play uh, – if he played both ways, he couldn't play like every day or he couldn't play a lot. But I think they're proven that's no longer the case. You know, it used to be he didn't hit before games he pitched. He didn't hit after games he pitched. You know, it was there were all these restrictions. So, actually, he's playing two-way and he's playing every day. But, but you're right. I mean uh, – the laws of physics, the baseball is such a demanding game, the, the day in, day out grind. Um, you know, he, he's not Superman. He is human. His, his elbow has, has revolted. Uh, but then again, he's 6'4", 210. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's playing better the more he plays. And that's when he's the happiest. That's when he's his most productive. Like his war, going back again, is, you know, 5'4", as a player, as an offensive player. So if he didn't pitch and played every day. I mean, would it be five, six? Would be, you know, how much more could it go up? Is it really worth an incremental two or three wins for a team that's going absolutely nowhere and to totally ditch one aspect where he's an elite performer? So, but I hear you, you know, and, and uh, you know, but you can't play scared. And they told Otani he could do this. You know, that's why he picked the Angels. They told him they would, they would go along with him on this ride and he believed him, and they believed him. <laughs> it went both ways, and it certainly paid off. But I, I think you have to go back to the best decision Shohei ever made was when he was 18 years old. And he told everyone and wrote it down. I mean, it was no secret. This guy was a star in Japan. I mean, uh, as a high schooler, which is like their high school tournaments, like our Final Four. It's unbelievable how much they love baseball on the high school level. He said, I'm out of here, boys. I'm going to the majors. 
he decided not to do that when the ham fighters selected him in the first round. And they convinced him, you can hone this two-way dream. You can follow this path that nobody else has really done. And he was going to go to the majors. He, and you know what that means, Tom. So you go to the minors. You're playing in the substandard fields. You're eating uh, Taco Bell because uh, uh, criminally, they don't pay those kids very much. I mean, what would have happened if he would have struggled in single A or double A or rookie ball, whatever? You know what would have happened? Quit the hitting, quit the pitching. You focus on one thing. Instead, he made that decision as an 18-year-old. He stayed in his country, which made him even more popular, and he really honed those skills. He was allowed to be a two-way player. He was allowed to fail without people saying, you failed enough, try something else. So, you know, this is, uh, this is kind of a, where we are now is all based, I feel, on a decision this teenager made at 18 that he says, I'm going to hold off going over to the majors. I'm going to tighten up my game and then see if it plays over there. And boy, it's playing big this season. That's for sure. We're talking here with Jay Paris, the foremost, you don't have to say it, Jay, the foremost expert on Shohei <laughs> Otani here in the States. He wrote the book Shohei Otani, The Amazing Story of Baseball's Two-Way Superstar. We've had him on a couple of times. He's always been pumping up Otani. And every single time we have him on, I go, I agree 90% of the way, but it's the 10% that we have fun with. Well, here we go. I agree with you 90% of the way, Jay. I'm going the other way for the MVP odds. Right now, he's the favorite, but not by all that much. He's about minus 110. Vlad's getting back maybe 105 or so, 110. They're about even money. My thought on the MVP odds for moving forward, and I've made this very clear to my listeners, is that while I think that Otani should win it today, there's still a second half of the season. Vlad plays in a tiny ballpark. The Triple Crown is something that sports writers absolutely love. They love the fact that he's 22 years old. Now, Otani, yeah, he's going to put up really good numbers, but I wonder if the Angels fall out of it if they continue to let him pitch. I wonder if fatigue becomes a factor because he didn't play really for the last two years of full season. I wonder, and I'm not worried about the other guy. What's your take on sort of my take here? I think you have to, uh, of course, we can't predict the health, you know, because that, that's a whole different mitigating circumstance. But I think you'd have to look at how many ways a guy could beat you. Vladi can hit like a banjo, man, but it's, it's, does he, he's not pitching. Uh, he doesn't have 12 steals. He's not the top 10% fastest player in, in the league. Uh, he doesn't have a 4-1 with a 349. If you just say the second half is going to be a second half, you know, that that's eight wins from a starting pitcher. I hear what you're saying, but then again, what happens when Mike Trout comes back in his lineup? What does that do to the pitches Trout or Otani is going to start seeing? You know, wonder if the Angels do catch a little bit of fire. Um, it, it's an interesting, um, interesting proposition, and, and you know, Vlad, he he's so good. It's it's going to be close. I, I just think what we've seen the last month, and again, we're going to say he stays healthy. It's just the improvement. I mean, his his launch angle. He's had a, a career low ground balls and a career-high launch angle. That's why this year he's hitting those 453-foot shots in Tampa Bay off the roof and, and deep into the bleachers in, in, in the Bronx with those majestic shots. And he doesn't chase anymore. His walk ratio is plummeted, which means he's getting ahead of the count. He's working at the count in his favor, and then he's hitting mistakes. And then the command with his fastball, I mean, he walked some guys early on and he had a clunker in New York, but you know, eight of his last 10 starts, he's gone into the seventh inning. And then there's his speed as well, you know, where he's got 12 bags and he's a student in the game and he goes from first to third as anybody in the league. So I hear you, but I'm saying if he stays healthy now, I, I, I think major league baseball would be blind not to, not to pick him. But I, I think it's a big deal that this next week, with the all-star break or with the all-star festivities. Cause like you said, you know, once again, you know, the angels pretty much let the other team throw up the ball and hit it. They have no pitching and they've got Rendon and they've got trout and they've got Otani and they got Fletcher and they got up Upton. It's a nice lineup, but they're not going anywhere. So if he can really blow up home run derby, can he do a Josh Hamilton in 2008 at old Yankee stadium? I mean, can he do some magic during the game, you know, start the game? Can he go up against you Darvish? who's pitching for the National League from the Padres. I mean, he, he really does need a need a big all-star break. This is his national stage is what I'm trying to say, I guess, next week. And I think that'll go a long way to people, you know, seeing again what he's doing and, and maybe sway the vote. But uh, 
your uh, your argument is, is certainly well taken. You know, can can this guy hold on doing this at this level? Even Babe Ruth said that back in the interview in the 1919s, where you know I'm young and I'm strong right now, but but how long can I do that? But we'll see. Uh, Matt Suey, you know, they called him Godzilla, and he had 31 home runs, and that's most ever by a Japanese player. And of course, Shohei has, has reached that by the All Star break. Yeah, absolutely. And I just hope that the oh, I see guys go into the home run derby, and I go, just don't do it. I hope it doesn't ruin his swing. We've seen that happen too. You know, I don't think Otani's that kind of guy. But listen, we've watched that happen. Guys go in there red hot, and then they they go, oh, I, I lost my swing to the home run derby. <laughs> Ugh, come on, right. that, that would yeah, be horrible. Yeah, you see that. But it's gonna be fun now too, is that high altitude because they did play the Rockies on on one of their interleague things, you know, the interleague games years ago. He put balls up in the Coors Light deck, which is like 500 feet away. So you know they ju- use a juiced up ball anyway in that thing. And with that altitude, he really could put a, a eye opening performance together. It's gonna be fun to watch. All right, let's talk about the the rest of the team. You mentioned somebody I was gonna say. Look, everyone's concentrating on obviously when Trout comes back because he's got MVP right. under his name. Maybe uh, we get a Otani MVP. Well, Rendon has an MVP trophy. The guy has just disappeared. What has happened to one of the most consistent guys, Anthony Rendon? Where is he? Talk about the RBI machine. I mean, when they picked him up, I said, holy smoke, what a great pickup. He can't stay healthy. And and just yesterday, he was put on the 10-day injured list again for a a hamstring. You know, he's had a knee. He's had a rib. He hasn't been fit. And uh, that's, that's, you know, he didn't forget to hit. You know, he just gets hit by the injury bug. But. You know, you said it. Look at that middle of that lineup. Holy smokes. I mean, you know, Trout back, Rendon, and and Shohei. So, you know, they got to get Rendon going. But, again, Tom, he can't pitch. And, and again, the Angels, it's, you know, know, the happiest place on earth is down the street. And the (laughs) nightmare of a pitching staff is right down the other end of Catella. You know, Bundy hasn't been good. They just sent Griffin Canning down. Uh, Heaney's up and down. Same old thing. They got to get pitching, and it looks like the Astros are running away with this thing or, or opening up a bigger lead and for them to catch Oakland for the wild card. You know, the Angels, they're in a tough spot here. But uh, I hear you. Rendon's got to get back. But they could have nine Rendon's. And if you can't pitch, Tom, you know that. You're, you're whistling in a, the wrong direction, that's for sure. Yeah, Rendon's coming back. Trout's coming back. Adele's yeah. coming back. None of them pitch. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I know exactly. Right, um, there's, only, there's only two, one two-way player on the team. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trout might come back and, and be a closer here. All right, we are on yeah. the phone with Jay Barris. So you you do the Otani stuff, but you cover the NFL for Forbes. I know that uh, you're in you know that LA area. Um, Anthony Lynn was hired this week, and I'm going right. really. And and you know they made it seem like oh my goodness, uh, what a, what an incredible hire. And I'm just going. This is the guy that evaluated talent and said Justin Herbert should be on the bench for Tyrod Taylor. Uh, to me, it got we're no look. No one's buying on the Lions, but could it get any worse for them? I mean, this was a terrible hire. Come on. Yeah, you know, maybe at a lower level, you know, Anthony certainly had the respect of the players, which you need number one. But that was a high school coach team, and that was a high school coaching staff, and the the blunders they made, you know. That, you know, it became a it became a verb. You chargered, you know, you chargered away another win. It it was, uh, you know, the clock management. I mean, you could go on and on. It it was, uh, it wasn't pretty. So a little uh, revised history there from from Mr. Lynn, and, and that's okay. But you know, the path forward with Brandon Brandon Staley is is promising. I mean, uh, you know, new head coaches rarely take over a team that has a young franchise quarterback and is coming off four straight wins, you know? So, I mean, the talent there, which maybe is even more of indicative of the, the lack of coaching it had. So, you know, the chargers, they got Slater, they got their left tackle in, in the draft. They, you know, they didn't re-sign Hunter Henry and they put that money into shoring up that offensive line. And uh, certainly they have the weapons on, on defense with Joey Bosa and, you know, Derwin James coming back this year. I mean, that guy was all pro his rookie year, but, you know, the injuries got to him. So, so the Chargers are pretty fired up. I mean, they play in a tough division now. You still got to beat Kansas City. But I think just the level of coaching is, has gone up dramatically with with just this hire. And, and they've got weapons on both sides of the ball. And they're going to be fun to watch this year. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if they can take down the Chiefs or not, but uh, I think they're heading in the right direction, Tom. That's for sure. I think they're flying a little under the radar. We only got about two yeah. minutes left, Jay. Okay. I want to talk to you about the other L.A. team, um, the Rams. Look, 
right. I get the roster. I get the defense. I, I Matthew Stafford apparently is is the savior. I I understand all that, but I just can't believe from a betting aspect, they are seven to one to win the NFC, the number two team after the Tampa Bay, who is about three three plus three fifty plus uh, four to one or so. They are getting massive momentum. For I've talked to sportsbook directors that tell me people are lining up to bet the Rams. I, you know, I just think it's a little bit of an overreaction. I think people are a little aggressive on the Rams here. Yeah, you, you could be right. I mean, uh, Stafford, uh, they want to stretch the field. They want, they're they not, you know, Coach McVay has made it clear. They're not a, uh, you know, eight-minute, 12-play 12, 12 drive uh, team that's going to march methodically down the field. You know, screw that. They, say they want to fling it. They want those big chunk plays. And they think Stafford is such an upgrade o- over Jared Goff that uh, – he can take him there. You know, the guy who's never won a playoff game is going to win him the Super Bowl now. That's cool, and uh, but we'll see if it happens. And, you know, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, I mean, he's almost 40 years old. He's still he's still good, but you got to be careful there that uh, he doesn't break down at some point. You know, Errol Donald on the other side, the best defender out there. But, but I hear you. I think the rest of the division is coming up a little bit. Uh, but when you get a new quarterback, you know how it goes. <laughs> you can't write too much or too little about the new guy. And, and uh, you know, Cam Akers, it looks like he's going to be the lead running back. But trepidation, sure. Uh, that, that might be a little aggressive, those numbers you, you said for the Rams. But, you know, their schedule's not too bad. They're going to be right in the thick of things, that's for sure. Jay, thank you very much, everybody. It's Jay Paris, a uh, friend of the show all the time. He's coming on. I had to give him a victory lap because he, he keeps <laughs> telling me for three years how good Otani was going to be. I don't even know if even you knew how good he was going to be because this is no, unbelievable. No. Show, go yeah, check out the book. Mind. Go check out the book, guys. Show A. Otani, the amazing story of baseball's two-way superstar. Thanks a lot, Jay. Tom, always enjoy our chat. Safe travels, my friend. Absolutely. And guys, you know, look, the Otani stuff didn't come out of nowhere. If you listen to this show, I gave you Otani last year to win the MVP. I love the odds. It was more than 20 to 1 last year. I was a year off, although I gave you Vlad this year. And maybe that's why I'm pushing the Vlad thing. But I I do. And I like that Jay kind of mentioned that about Babe Ruth and whatnot. And the fact that even he said, look, how long can I do this for? I don't know if a team that is failing and falling out of the playoff race like the Angels, I don't know if they look at Otani in late August and let him continue to do this. You know, So are his numbers going to be okay uh, anyway? Yeah, of course they are. I, I just don't know. If there was anybody, if there was any other year, if he was in the National League, I'd say sure. But with Vlad chasing the Triple Crown, I think it makes for a really good MVP debate. I wish they could just split it, right? I mean, it makes for a good debate. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. Speaking of debates, look, we had the match this week. Everybody was on the match. And that brings up Tom Brady looked good. The debate has always been, when will he eventually retire? When will Brady hang him up? We could have had this debate 10 years ago. Look, when will Brady retire? I have the odds. Before the end of the 2021 regular season, you're getting plus 1,600, 16 to 1 odds. Before the start of the 2022 regular season, plus 155. After the start of the 2022 regular season, minus 190. Guys, I know it's minus 190. I think he's going to keep playing. I watched the match and I liked it. So I'm telling you, that is bet to the future. All right, guys. Yeah, look, the match was a lot of fun, right? It it was, I guess, uh, the only thing that Rodgers could beat Brady at. (laughs) All right, everybody. Enjoy the NBA Finals. Enjoy the All-Star Weekend. All-Star Week. Now it's become enjoy it. Have fun with it. Don't bet it too much. Don't bet it at all, in my opinion. I'm Tom Bart for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.